Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and we are going to finish off our dive, not our deep dive, just a dive, really just kind of dipping our toes into the water of these albums. And we are finishing off at Buckner and Garcia's Pac-Man Fever, the early 1980s smash hit album, because everyone was loving video games, at least, you know, most of the younger people. And, you know, at this time also, there were a lot of, uh, well, it started in the late 70s more, but uh, a lot of handheld video games that were coming out. I remember uh, my grandfather, we got him one called UFO Master Blaster. And, you know, you just put a couple of AA batteries in there and you could play for hours on it and then it would just die and you would replace the batteries. And there were no SIM cards. There were no save games, nothing like that. Uh, it was They were very simple. You turn them on, they just played. They didn't really even have to load, but for a couple of seconds. And, you know, you could just hang on, play for a little while and just shut it off when you were done. They were pretty cool. And from that time, we had some other stuff that came out like, uh, you know, they got a little bit more intelligent with things like Merlin. That was this uh, red thing that sort of looked like a phone. Uh, it even had the numbers on it, but it had games that you could play. You could play, you know, like uh, tic-tac-toe, you could play jump, all these different things, um, really intelligent things that were coming out around that time. But once the big uh, arcade craze started to hit, those kind of went a little bit by the wayside until the miniature video game home versions came out. Like you could get a tiny tabletop Donkey Kong or Patman. And, uh, you know, they were kind of expensive and they were really little. So they weren't a lot of fun to play. But it was something you could play at home while you waited to get to the arcade on your next trip. In any case, lots of cool stuff in this time. Uh, things were just coming out in mass quantity. But while all this was going on, the computer industry, the home computer industry, was really starting to ramp up. You've got companies like Commodore that were just around the corner. Um, Texas Instruments already had their computer out. Timex had a computer out. Yes, Timex, the watch company. Um, Atari had a computer out. I mean, these, these were things that were really primitive at this point, but building up and ramping up to take over the gaming industry because you could start playing a lot of these games at home. And even though they were, you know, some of them were kind of crude renditions of the arcade versions, especially when it came to the Atari 2600, um, Pac-Man isn't even close to Pac-Man. The layout isn't even exactly the same. Um, the sounds are completely different because the, the capacity was so limited on the Atari 2600 that you could only do so much. You know, uh, if you guys listen to my two-part interview with Scott Adams, who was one of the original text adventure creators, still creating games to this day, I'm still trying to work on Adventureland, uh, hop on every once in a while, and I just made some progress a couple of nights ago. I don't know how far away I am from the end. I'm in the last, uh, what I'm sure is the last section of the game, but, uh, you know, I've been playing this for a few months now, and I've only just made little baby steps in progress, but I haven't you know, really sat there and played it that much, to be honest, because I'm working on the novel, got an album coming out, you know, doing the podcast, this this show and my Uriah Heat podcast. So there isn't as much time. And sometimes my brain just needs a break from thinking. And uh, so what do I do? I switch to a video game. I'm playing the old uh, Star Wars and the rep. What is it? The uh, uh, X-Wing, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. And then the uh, the Alliance version of that. Just finished all of those missions a couple of days ago, just because I need something to do for like 10 or 15 minutes here and there to just let my brain relax a little bit. And um, when I'm doing that, I'm really trying to focus on the game and not focus on, okay, well, as soon as I get done with this, I got to record this podcast. I got to edit that. I got to filter that. Like 
really just trying to get lost in the game and, and give myself a little bit of a mental break here and there. I think everybody needs that. You can't just go full steam all the time. Pretty close, but not all the time. And sleep doesn't count. So, um, but uh, back to the video game world. So one of the first really big, like massive people flooding to the arcades games that came out was Asteroids. And that was one for me that I did not get to play. I think I talked about this in the first part of the uh, review. I uh, didn't really get to play until Space Invaders came out because there was just a line. There were people crowding around the machine. You could barely even get a look at what was going on. And once Space Invaders came out, everybody kind of jumped over to that. And then I thought, great, I'll play that in three or four months when the next thing comes out. For now, I'm going to play Asteroids. So I was never good at it in the arcade. I got very good at it at the Atari version. But in the arcade, I was never good at those games that were just a bunch of buttons and no joystick. I just didn't have the right um, coordination. I think I got better at that when I started playing keyboards because I got used to my fingers doing different things instead of just my hands as a drummer. And uh, I remember early one morning, I was so excited to just get up early and start playing Asteroids on the Atari 2600 where everything was like a colorful morsel. It looked more like cereal than it did a video game. And uh, I got up really early. I even skipped Saturday morning cartoons, which was a pretty big deal because, man, you watch Saturday morning cartoons every Saturday. You were dedicated, but I was so excited to play Asteroids. I just didn't care. And it was probably off season and there were reruns, but I remember it was in the summertime and I started playing and I kept going. I had the maximum number of ships lined up across the top of the screen that you could see. After that, it just, I think, went to a number that stopped counting at 99. It actually tracked the number of ships properly, but visually it stopped counting at 99 because there was only two spaces for that uh, number to increase. So I'm just playing and I'm playing and I'm playing and it's time for lunch and my mom brings me lunch and she just sets it down on the floor and I keep playing and I keep playing. Finally, dinner comes around. I'm still playing this one game. I have not restarted at all. And she uh, tells me it's time for dinner. I'm like, yeah, I'll be there in a minute. And of course, I couldn't get up because I had literally just been sitting there playing all day. And I I must have gone to the bathroom at some point. I don't remember. Maybe I crawled. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I had to be picked up to get to the dinner table because I just couldn't move. And while we were eating dinner, we just left the game sit. And through the, so the whole thing, I mean, I could hear, you know, my ship crashing here and there as the asteroids got to the center. When dinner was over, I went back. I still had 99 plus guys and I played a little while longer and I just said, you know what? I'm, I'm done with this. Like I, I could sit here and just play and keep the score going, but you know, you have to count how many times you've wrapped the score. I don't know if it was a hundred thousand or a million, um, because the, again, the capacity was very limited on the game and I never played that game again. That was probably somewhere in the, I want to say the the early to mid 80s. I, I'm not sure what year it came out on the Atari, but I know it was fairly quick. Um, so fast forward to summer of 88. I think it was 88. And my brother and I, we'd moved to Colorado. My brother and I went up to Denver. We were going to go to Elitch's Amusement Park. Now, granted, we grew up on Cedar Point and Cedar Point was, you know, most amusement parks on steroids. That place was a, an amazing wonderland. Uh, so we go to Elitch's. You could pretty much walk around the whole thing in like 45 minutes. 
But they had, you know, little carnival games and stuff, and they had some arcade games, and I saw that they had asteroids. And I thought, you know, I was never any good at this in the arcade, again, because of the buttons. I mastered it on the joystick at home. I wonder how good I could do on this now, some, you know, few years later. So I put my quarter in, and I'm playing, and I'm playing, and nothing's happening. I'm not dying. I'm just shooting up asteroids and UFOs and satellites. And I just got so bored, I walked away. Now, keep in mind, this is like as simple as it gets as a video game. So it's pretty, you know, understandable that you're going to lose interest at some point because there's not, it doesn't change. There's nothing more to it than what you see literally from the time that you start. The only difference is that instead of a satellite, every once in a while, a UFO comes out, which is smaller and harder to hit. It's also worth a lot more points. I think the satellite was like 2,500 and the UFO was 10,000 or something. But in any case, that was it. That was literally it. There were no more changes to the game. So at some point you're like, yeah, I've kind of conquered this and you just walk away. I don't know what happened to the game after that. Maybe somebody else played, maybe just ran out of, of guys before anybody else came by. I have no idea. But in any case, that was literally the last time I played Asteroid. So that would have been, I'm pretty sure that was summer of 88. And so what are we at? 2021 now. So, you know, it's been like 33 years since I played the game. Um, I don't know if they ever did an update on it. Like I know that Sinistar had a really cool 3D version that came out on PC and I loved that. And I thought maybe they could do something like that with Asteroids. If they have, I haven't seen it. it it's probably out there. I would think somebody's done something by now. I think they have a 3D version of Space Invaders. I'm not sure how that works. But um, yeah, it was it was a cool concept. And being such a pioneer in the industry, uh, we owe a lot to that game, even though it's pretty simple and easy to play now for most people. Um, it was it was really ahead of its time. It, it set up a lot of possibilities for what people could do with games. I think people just needed to see what was possible and then take that concept and go, OK, well, if we can do that, then I'm going to do this. And we get games like Donkey Kong and Mousetrap and, and Centipede and things like that. So, uh, yeah, a very important game in our in our video game history, I would say probably one of the most important games. I would say Asteroids, Pac-Man and Donkey Kong were probably three of the most important. Maybe Dragon's Lair, because that was the first one that started to use laser disc technology. Or was it? I think I think Interstellar might have been before that, which used a laser disc. But uh, but that wasn't as popular. It wasn't everywhere. It was in a really big cabinet. It was probably more expensive to get. It was a sit-down machine. I remember that. You actually sat down inside of it. You had a larger screen. The soundtrack was amazing. And you can hear that on YouTube. But the game itself, I think, was more just stunning graphics than it was cool play. And the soundtrack is what really sold me. Like, I just wanted to hear the soundtrack. So I would put money in. I think it was also 50 cents. Uh, so Dragon's Lair comes out. And that one was just a quarter eater, you know, to get to your next thing. But it was kind of like a video game version of a choose-your-own-adventure book. So I would say those were were pretty important as well because they gave us just those uh, abilities to see what you could really do. Now, those games are so simple compared to what's out now. Um, it's really amazing how, how far we've come. And thinking about, you know, if I was, okay, so we'll say Pac-Man was like 81. So I was nine years old when Pac-Man came out. Now let's take uh, so it's 2021 now, and you know we've we've still got some video games out there. Even taking things as advanced as the newest Mortal Kombat, or even going far as far as like Dance Revolution or House of the Dead, some of these games that just look so amazing. 
where are we going to be nine years from now? You know, I always said that what would be cool would be to have like a helmet that you put on and it just had a screen and everywhere you turned, you were turning in a different direction. And it was like you were in inside the game, you know, instead of being outside of the game and looking on as an interactive observer. And of course, you know, now we have the virtual reality games and the helmet and all that. So um, I I can't even begin to fathom where we're going to be in another nine years. So uh, I'll be curious to see. Maybe I'll do an episode in uh, in 2030 and go, well, I, d- I didn't predict that or I didn't see that coming. But I think uh, I, I think it would be really cool if we had some way to go beyond like the bodysuit where you can feel like the the vibration of of different things. You know, like when you get hit, you feel like a vibration where you got hit. So it kind of adds a little bit of realism. But, you know, where maybe we can smell things and we can taste things and, you know, take it to that level would be pretty amazing. Uh, I don't know if that's possible ever, but that would be a really cool next step, I would say, in the industry. But we're not here to predict what's going on nine years from now in the world of video games. We're here to talk about what was happening in 1981 when Pac-Man Fever came out. We are on the second side. And speaking of asteroids, here is the song Hyperspace. I love the way they blend those synthesizers with the piano. Uh, That just sounds really good to me. I don't really do that. I'm going to have to experiment with that a little bit and see what I can come up with. But I really like the way that they did that, which was quite uh, frequent on this album, by the way. Um, I also wanted to say, too, that there was a second version of Asteroids that hit the arcades a while later. It was called Asteroids Deluxe. You had uh, an extra button. Well, the hyperspace button, I'm not sure if that was still there or not, but you had a shield button where you had a shield that would last for a few seconds if you were, you know, kind of in one of those positions where you couldn't get to something fast enough to shoot it and break it up. Or or if you broke it up and a particle was flying at you, you could hit the shield button and um, then it would hit the shield instead of your ship. But it was only good for a couple of seconds. So you had to be really careful when you hit it. Now, uh, whether the deluxe version had that in place of the hyperspace button or if it had both, I don't know. I want to say it replaced the hyperspace button. I know that on the Atari, uh, the way that they dealt with it was going forward was the thruster, going back was the shield, and I think was hyperspace on the other version. And then um, going left or right was how you rotated the ship clockwise or counterclockwise. So because you only had one button and that was for firing. Now, as you could hear in the song, that firing sound gets really annoying after a while. And I think that's one of the things that you know, for me might have ruined the actual stand-up arcade game because that just, that sound got really obnoxious after a while. And you're like, I don't want to fire at anything just because I don't want to hear that hideous sound. But when it first came out, it was the coolest thing in the world. You know, times change, we move on, technology changes so quickly. I was even thinking, you know, not too long ago, how dated movies are now based on what cell phones they're using. You know, if they're still using a flip phone, it's pretty easy to say that that movie's getting uh, older, you know, if they're, if they have a, a droid 
or an iPhone X, you know, whichever one they have, it, it's really dating the films, the technology that we're using because it's moving so fast. So of course, you know, you could, you could use an older phone uh, on a movie today. You could use an iPhone three in a movie today, make it look like they're using that and the movie's much older. But in general, you know, if they're using new tech, it's, it's pretty dated when, when that movie came out or was filmed or a television show, you know? Um, but yeah, interesting. So hyperspace is a good song, um, really nice chorus in it actually, but it just has that, you know, like a lot of the stuff on the album, the guitar picking is really nice and just moves the songs forward very nicely. Um, all these songs flow really well. They're very well constructed. I love the integration of the video game sounds because you can easily identify if you didn't buy title, you can easily identify what game they're talking about. And, um, yeah, very cool stuff. So the next one up is called The Defender, which is based on the game Defender. And that was another one that I was just not too great on in the arcade. I was pretty good at Stargate Defender, which was the follow-up version that got much more intense because it had the mutants and it had the mutant world that you could fly into. And, um, you know, that was a lot harder to play because it was faster and the mutants were faster. But... uh yeah, basically you're a ship. You can fly left or right. You can go up and down, but only so far uh, because it's really a left or right parser game. But uh, you have these little humanoids on the ground and then you have uh, lander UFOs, which come down and take the people kind of similar to Stratovox. In fact, I think Stratovox was probably based on Defender, um, but Stratovox had all the humans over to the right. It was really kind of weird. They were just like standing on a ladder waiting to be taken away. <laughs> Very strange. But uh, so the goal was to try and shoot the lander that took your human before it took it all the way to the top and turned it into a mutant. Now, if you shot the lander too high and your little humanoid fell to the ground from too high of a distance, they would die from just, you know, falling to death. But you could collect them in midair because that's how reality works. And you could just land them back down on the ground. They would just kind of hang on to your ship. And you just, you know, gently drop them off at the bottom and they're great until the next lander comes to try and take them away. Once you cleared off the U all the UFOs off the board, you go on to the next one and start with a refreshed board of aliens. But there were also, if you were taking too long, you had baiters that would come out, which were really kind of thin UFOs. So they were hard to hit because remember, we're dealing with a horizontal scrolling game. So if, you're, if your object is not very tall, it's going to be harder to hit. So uh, the baiters would come out. They were a pain in the ass. I hated those things in the arcade. At home, they weren't that bad. You know, you get really used to it. They got easy to hit. The Atari port version of it was actually pretty good. Um, the graphics were not incredibly sharp, but it was a pretty good uh, version as far as the gameplay went. Um, Stargate Defender was a lot harder because it had a lot more characters in it. In fact, um, the Stargate was going into that mutant world. If you flew into that, if I remember right, it's been a long time since I played it, but, uh, they had added, uh, bad guys, you know, they had these pods and if you hit the pods, they would break into much smaller mini pods that you had to hit. And, and they were a little faster. They would fly all over the screen. Um, very, very challenging. Um, you had, uh, you had mutants that would come out if you were taking too long, you still had the baiters. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a much tougher game. And I got good at that one in the arcade, but for some reason I couldn't get good at Defender. So I don't know, maybe sometimes the challenge isn't enough. And so your reactions are slow because you're just not, you're not feeling that sense of urgency. But when Stargate Defender came out, I, I felt that urgency and I got, I got pretty good at it in the arcade. 
don't think I ever tried to play it on a television. I never had a ColecoVision, but uh, Atari was the one that I I really enjoyed it on. And I think we got. It was. It must have been Stargate when the Atari Fifty Two Hundred came out. I think we had Defender on the Twenty Six Hundred and Stargate on the Fifty Two Hundred, if I remember right. God, I sound spoiled, don't I? Like I, in that way, I was for sure. Um, but I also like to, you know, I would I would take days and just read and not play video games at all because I love to read. I would play drums, go roller skate, you know, that sort of thing. I didn't just sit there and, and play video games like a lump, like I would now if I could, uh, which I can't. And that's okay. Um, but yeah, Defender was was definitely one of those games that I absolutely loved. And I felt that I I had a pretty good grip on. Was not an expert, I wouldn't say. I wasn't one of those guys that could just, you know, do what I did with Asteroids, where I could just play endlessly. But I, I feel I, uh, I held my own at that game pretty well. So let's take a listen to The Defender. Yeah, that's just got a really good feel to it. It's a little lower in tempo. You know, it's a kind of a calmer version of the way you would be when you were playing the game, because I'm pretty sure you would be at a much higher beats per minute ratio uh, because it's a pretty intense game. Both versions really were. But uh, yeah, a good song, just a nice uh, kind of a nice lull, you know, as we're going into the last couple songs in the album. And sometimes you need to Let's slow it down a little bit. So that's uh, that's what they use Defender for, but a really good song. And that that opening, I always forget that when I hear that opening, it's Defender because that would be the song, the the uh, you know the audio you would hear when the game first starts up. And it always reminds me of Berserk because I feel like it's the same type of synthesis that they used. And I mean, there were only so many chips back then, uh, only so many different things you could do. But we're going to get to that in a couple of songs. First, we have Mousetrap. Now, Mousetrap was based on the board game. I believe it was Milton Bradley's board game, Mousetrap. And you would basically set things up and, and you know, try to spring the trap and catch the mouse. Or if you were, I think you were playing the mouse, you tried to avoid the trap. I don't remember. I never really played the board game. I think maybe once or twice at best. I was never really into the video game itself either. The arcades that I went to didn't have it. So it wasn't one that was really on my radar. I remember going to a buddy's house who had a ColecoVision and he had it. So we played it there for a little bit, but I think that might've been the only time I ever actually played the game itself. Um, but the concept was pretty neat. You had stuff chasing you in the, in the video game. Um, I think it was like a, a dog, a dog, a cat. And I don't know. I, I don't remember now. It's been so long, but check it out. I mean, you can find it online if you like. It's uh, it was a cool game. I remember I just, it was just one that I'm like, there are so many other games I could play right now. And this isn't one that really interests me. So never really fell on my radar. But I mean, the concept was cool. I think if they did something with it now, they could probably turn it into something pretty amazing. But uh, it all just depends on, you know, the concept. But here is Mousetrap from Pac-Man Fever.
Okay, I looked it up because there is no expense spared on this show. And as soon as I saw the screen, it all came back to me. So it's basically a Pac-Man style game. You've got a maze with some dots. Uh, The difference is, is that you have some doors that you can open and shut and sort of change the maze. You can use those to, uh, you know, like lock your opponent out from where you are. And then there's these uh, cats chasing you. And uh, they're the uh, the bad guy because, of course, you're a mouse. So the dots are cheese. You're trying to eat all the cheese on the screen to get to the next screen while the cats are trying to eat you, which are basically the Pac-Man ghosts. Um, You can alter the maze by changing some doors, opening and closing them. Um, And then your power pill like you would have in Pac-Man is you turn into a dog and you can go after the cats. So very much uh, a Pac-Man based game. There were so many games, though, that came out that were that were like that. Um, you know, clear all the dots, clear the maze, go to the next thing. You have your moments where you could be, you know, unharmed and that sort of thing. But there's another added twist is that there is a hawk that flies around the screen from time to time and can fly over the maze and then come down and grab you. So that's kind of a little bit of a challenge. I don't think you can defeat the hawk as a dog. That part I don't remember. But that's the gist of the game. So, you know, uh, I think the bones are the power pills. And so you eat the bone as a mouse and you turn into a dog. I know that sounds really weird, but (laughs) but that's that's the way we had it. And that's the way we liked it. So that's uh, that's Mousetrap for you guys. Like I said, it was a game that I never really got all that into. But it was, uh, you know, it was a cool, cool thing for a lot of people. I, it was neat that they started having uh, board games that became video games because really we didn't think of board games as action games, although they could give you a sense of intensity if you were, you know, in trouble or on the verge of winning and you had to wait until everybody else had their turn. Hope that your uh, ability to win didn't get messed up or hopefully your uh, ability to or, or your, you know, Uh, being in a position to lose the game might get messed up while you're waiting for everybody else to take their turn. So uh, it was kind of neat to see. I can't really think of too many other games that uh, were turned into video games. I I know a lot of games were turned into other things, like I said, with Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, it was it was a cool thing. Now, there were games like, you know, Risk and Life and things like that that were turned into online games where you could play them over a, a modem in the old days when we had just bulletin board systems and no internet yet. And like, I remember playing risk with people all over the world, which at that point was the coolest thing because we just didn't have anything like that. And so uh, I would wait until midnight and I would get on and I would take my turns and then hope that all day long, because you could only take one turn a day uh, all day long, or well, you could take one turn a day, or if every player had taken a turn, then you could take your next turn. I think it was. So, you know, you're just like checking it every couple hours. Okay, can I take a turn again? No, that one guy in Italy hasn't played yet or whatever it was, you know, but it was a lot of fun. So there are a lot of board games that turned into those kind of video games, but not like arcade style action games. You know, they were pretty much just a digital version of the board game. Uh, But it was cool because, like I said, you could play with people all over the world. And that was that was pretty neat. And games that you couldn't play by yourself, like you can't play Risk by yourself. You can't play Life by yourself. You need other people. So if you didn't have other people, it was great to have an outlet to be able to play those games. So that uh, that's a little history for you that I know you didn't ask for. Now, her final track uh, is a game I actually really liked. Um, it's one that doesn't really have an end to it. 
I have heard rumors that there is a point where it just stops because, again, we had that capacity of 999 being the uh, the maximum because you only had three fields for uh, screen numbers or you know uh, your score, your number of guys or whatever. And games would just stop at, at whatever point they, they had to because of those limitations. But apart from that, it was a cool game that just would go on forever. And at some point, again, you'd kind of just get bored and go, okay, I'm, I'm had enough of this right now. And so um, Berserk was one of those games you could just keep playing and playing and playing. I think I kind of did the same thing one day with Berserk that I did with Asteroids, where I just kept playing and playing. But that one, I got bored with much earlier. And I just kind of just like, all right, I'm going to walk away now. And uh, but it was a cool game. So basically, you it's, it's not really a maze. It's just a bunch of rooms. And there are exits. Sometimes they're at the top or the bottom or the left or right, or sometimes both um, left and right or left and bottom. Uh, It was just wherever on each screen. And it made no sense because you could walk in from the bottom and there'd be no exit at the top. And you're like, well, I thought I just walked through that door. Uh, Sometimes that would happen. But in any case, so there's basically robots and they're shooting at you. And your job is to eliminate all the robots and clear the room, just walk into the next room and do the same thing and just rinse and repeat. And the rooms are different colors. The robots are different colors. And that's almost as exciting as the entire game gets. But there were some cool things that they added to this game. So instead of a hawk, like we saw in Mousetrap, they had what was known as Evil Otto, who was this sort of disconcerting smiley face ball that would bounce across the screen and it would just get faster and faster as it tried to take you out. Now, you could not do anything to defend yourself against Evil Auto except try to get to the exit before he got you. And that would happen if you lingered in a room too long. Like, let's say there were a lot of walls and you had to, you know, make some moves to get around to get all the robots. And so it would take you longer to finish that particular screen. And when the timer ran out, Otto would come out and try and get you. And sometimes he would, and you couldn't do anything about it. And sometimes you could make it to the exit, which is what you hope for. Um, But the other cool thing that they added that I really liked was the, when the game was not being played, they had these, you know, non, uh, non non-interactive screens. And sometimes, you know, like we talked about, the screens would show what the gameplay was like to entice you to play it. And so you would get an idea of what you were getting into before you spent a quarter on it. Um, But this one kind of like Stratavox went the extra mile and they had uh, voices in this game. And the robots would say things like intruder alert, uh, don't let him escape or don't let the don't let the human escape or must kill the human, something like that. Um, And then my favorite one, which was human fight like a robot. You know, um, instead of, you know, chicken fight like a man, it was human fight like a robot, which I I thought was kind of cute. So they would do like a couple of those um, enticing voice clips when the game wasn't being played to try and get you to play. And I thought that was pretty cool. You know, that certainly is going to be like the uh, like the uh, what what do they call them? The barker at the carnival in the dunk tank. That's like, hey, fatty, try and uh, try and dunk me. You know, I bet you can't do it. And just to try and get your money and get you angry enough, get your dander ruffled so that you would go over there and want to dunk them in the water. And of course, they're already all wet. The water's like four feet tall. There's really not a huge satisfaction in dunking them, except that you did it. But that that kind of mentality, you know, the egging you on kind of thing. But this was all done digitally, so nobody had to do it. And there was certainly no dunk tank next to a video game. 
But it was a really cool concept. The other thing that helped make the game easier, a little strategy tip for you, is the robots would die if they ran into each other or if they shot each other because they could do that. So if you uh, have a robot and he's on the other side of a wall and for some reason, even though there's a wall in between you, he's shooting at you anyway. And there's a guy above him and he's shooting at you also. But if you walk in a way and he follows you, and he gets between the other, he puts the other robot between you and him, and he's still shooting at you, he'll shoot the other robot. They can also walk into the walls and, oh, the walls are electric, by the way. So if you walk into a wall, you get zapped. If they walk into a wall, they get zapped. So the goal is to, when you have them behind the walls, you want to try and get them either to run into a wall or shoot each other to eliminate uh, the the uh, the amount of robots that you have to shoot before you make it out of the room and Evil Auto comes to get you. So it was a really cool concept, but it's kind of endless. There weren't any more twists than that. Like once once you get that, the robots got a little faster as the game went on. I'm sure that had a peak as well. But that was the game, you know, right from the first screen. You're like, OK, this is the game. This is what I get. There isn't going to be any bonus rounds. There's not any anything else. That's that's it. So, uh, you know, you just play until you either lost your your guy or or that was it. Now, if I remember right, you had a joystick to move and you had a dial to aim your gun and a fire button. So uh, you could aim like in most games you shot forward, whatever direction you were going in. That was the way that it shot. But this was a game that allowed you to kind of move your arm independently of where you were walking. So you could be running away from a bad guy, but you could still shoot him at the same time, which was pretty cool. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully that would help you avoid getting hit yourself. And you could shoot up, down, left, right, and then in all four diagonal directions, which really helped because you would be there forever trying to get those robots if you were just doing uh, straight up and down or side to side. So it was a pretty cool game. But uh, I say we just listen to a little bit of the song and I bet we hear some of that talking. chicken fight like a robot that's right um i think there might have been two different clips on there one was chicken and one was human um i'm not sure i seem to remember human also um but in any case yeah it was it was a good song that's that brassy synth is like right on the edge of being sort of an ear piercing frequency for me it's the only song that i'm kind of like i maybe don't want to listen to this one because that synth is just a little too uh too piercing to my ear but apart from that, it's a great song. Um, it really sums up the game really well. You know, you can move your arm, you can run around, you're just going to go from room to room doing this over and over. And with uh, with no end in sight, unless you have no life in three days to get to 999 levels or whatever it was. But a cool game nonetheless. And before I wrap up, I want to talk about a couple of other games real quick that uh, that I really like. There was a game called Kix QIX, which was a really interesting game where you basically had to try and fill the screen 
by making squares and rectangles and hopefully the quicks, which was this really weird moving uh, javelin sort of thing, uh, would wander around the screen and uh, sometimes it would hit you or it would hit the line that you're trying to create unless you've completed that block uh, and it fills in, you're kind of vulnerable if it hits the line or if it hits you. And then there's these other uh, like sparks that would will run around the parameter and try to get you as well. It's a fun game. It's really challenging. It's a lot of, um, you know, just trying to fill the screen in, maybe trying to trap the uh, the kicks as it was. We called it quicks because it's with a Q, but there's no U after it. So it's Q-I-X. So it would have to be kicks. Um, I, I'm sure somebody with a better working knowledge of the English language could tell me if that's true. But in any case, it was a it was a really fun game. So if you could trap it in a really small space, then you could get the highest amount of points because the higher percentage you filled the screen, the more points you would get. And there there was different challenges. So you might have to fill 60% of the screen or, or 80% of the screen to go to the next level. And sometimes you might have to fill 85 or 90. And it gets really tricky because you've got that that huge, you know, spear chasing you. So a uh, really cool game. I really like that one. Another one that I really never got to play that I really wanted to was called Scramble. And that was in one of those how to beat video games books that uh, that I loved so much. And uh, I only got to play it a few times, but that was, uh, a, a, you know, you're scrolling to the right through the whole thing. You can go up and down. There's uh, things that you can bomb. There's things that you can shoot. But uh, the main trick with that one was that you had to keep hitting the fuel because you would only have so much. And if you didn't hit enough fuel on the way to the end of that round, you wouldn't make it to the end of that round. You would just, you know, crash. And of course, you're dropping bombs on the fuel. And that is how you fuel up in the world. You drop bombs on a fuel canister and automatically that fuel is in your ship. You know, but the the challenge of it, too, is the terrain, because sometimes you had to you know, angle around things. You had to watch when you dropped your bomb. Sometimes you had to do it really early. Sometimes you had to do it from high up. So the timing would be different of when the bomb would reach whatever it was you're trying to hit. Just a, a lot of strategy and really some some geometry and math that, that went on with that, uh, which was nice because it added a little bit of an intellectual challenge to the game as well. Um, those were two that I loved a lot. Gyrus was another one. Um, absolutely loved Gyrus. You were basically a ship trying to shoot waves of ships, kind of like Galaga, but Galaga in the round. And uh, the music that was played was Takata uh, by Johann Sebastian Bach. Very cool digital version of it. I actually learned the song from that version of it. And um, you just go round after round. Every few, there'd be a bonus round. The whole point of the game is you're trying to get home to Earth and you're on the other side of the solar system. So you're trying to get to each planet as a kind of refueling what they use as a bonus uh, station, and you go through several of the planets until you get to Earth, and then you start over again. Very cool game. Absolutely love that. Uh, one one more that I'll mention that's kind of um, really different from the rest of these, in a, a very early predecessor to Mortal Kombat, would be a game called Karate Champ. Karate Champ was a game that had two joysticks. You could uh, you could play you had to use a different combination of movements on the joysticks to do different things. So if you moved the joysticks uh, up and down, you would get like uh, an uppercut punch, I think. If you moved one joystick down and one to the left, it would do like a, a round sweep. And if you just moved one joystick to the uh, to the right, it would do like a front kick. 
So you had to kind of really know what the uh, movements were, or you could just fudge them until you figured it out. But that was a really fun game. And you just, it would just be like a tournament, kind of like, you know, the Karate Kid game that came out. Um, only it didn't have all the weird bad guy stuff that came before that. It was literally just the tournament. And you would have a couple of bonus rounds where you had to break boards. There would be 10 of them. If you hit all 10, you'd get the max score. If you hit seven, you'd get less score. Uh, and then there was another one where they would throw things at you. Your sensei would just throw like flower pots and bricks or whatever at you. And if you, uh, you dodged them, then you would uh, keep advancing until you got to, you know, past however many was the maximum objects he was going to throw at you. Uh, then you're on to your next opponent. And it was just a really simple but cool game. It was one of the ones that you just wanted to keep going, you know, just, all right, one more quarter, all right, one more quarter. And, and it would just take your future away. <laughs> but it was a fun game. And there were so many cool games that were out back in the day. Um, some of them I liked better when they were ported to the home games. Like I actually liked Tron Deadly Disc better on the Intellivision than I did at the arcade. The arcade was super cool and different, but it was kind of hard to play. Uh, I was able to do better at the one on Intellivision, so I enjoyed that more. But apart from that, yeah, there were some some pretty major games at the arcade, and um, I kind of wish that they had done a follow-up album. I mean, Pac-Man Fever seemed like it was successful enough to warrant something else, but there were no other games that really came after Pac-Man Fever that would have warranted like a title track. You know, I mean, maybe Dragon's Lair, they could have done something with that, but they they kind of hit all the major ones, uh, except for Space Invaders, they kind of hit them all, you know, Donkey Kong, Centipede, um, Asteroids, Defender, they, they kind of hit them all on this album. So other than that, I mean, you had games that weren't as well known, like Sinistar was a great game, but I don't know how, how that did on the large scale. I mean, they did make another version of it, but, uh, just for PC, but, um, yeah, I don't really know what all games they could have done. I know Mr. Do was really popular, but I don't really remember that. So yeah, anyway, they didn't make another album is my point. And I think it would have been neat to see something else come out while the the striking was hot. But in any case, it, it never did. And so um, the closest we get is Sir Mix-A-Lot and his song, uh, It's Pitch Dark, which is based on the Infocom text adventures with uh, games such as Zork and A Mind Forever Voyaging and Nordenbert Couldn't Make Head or Tail of It and all the the uh, non-graphic text adventures that they did, which came after Scott Adams and his series of adventures. Infocom was kind of the next step. And uh, so, they, so he did his song, which uh, the basic chorus is, uh, you're likely to be eaten by a Gru. And if you know the uh, the game Zork, if you were in a room where there was no light and you didn't turn on a light source, be it a match or a flashlight or something, uh, if you made uh, too many moves in the dark, uh, a Gru would come and eat you because the Gru's disappear when there's light in the room. So no one ever knew what these things looked like because you could never see them. They just disappeared literally as soon as light flashed. So uh, so that's his song. That's a pretty cool song, actually. Um the uh, the guys that do the uh, Infocom podcast, they use that as their opener. He uh, he allowed them to use that, which was really cool. Uh, and they have a great show. But there's uh, there's all kinds of uh, podcasts and stuff about different video games and the history and all the stuff that went into it. But um, yeah, that podcast is actually called Eaten by a Gru, G-R-U-E. So check that out. Uh, they're a lot of fun too, those guys. But um, yeah, so that wraps up our episode. I'm really glad I split this into two parts because I actually had a lot more to say about video games than I thought. I mean, they were such a big part of my life. 
And we haven't even gotten into what happens, you know, when, when the games became really big on computer. There's really not a lot to talk about there as far as the music side of things go. But uh, there was the Amiga computer that came out by Commodore after the 64 and the 128. Uh, and that was designed for graphics and music creation. And as primitive as it seems now, people really made a lot of good songs. They made animations. There were all kinds of things flying around the internet that you could download from the bulletin boards. Uh, just a really great and crazy time where people were getting access to be able to do things like that. And, and there were some great things out there at the time. So I don't know, I may do some of the Amiga music at some point down the road. It is on my list as a possibility, so we'll see. But for now, that'll do it for this episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. You guys, thank you so much for joining me. I will see you next week with another episode. Have fun. Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers.